We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this program. I am Ann Baldwin, the host of the show, and I'm so excited to have in-house, in the studio, Chris Marino, who's the Clinical Director of Behavioral Health Services for Community Mental Health Affiliates, also known as CMHA. Chris, thank you so much for coming in today. Really appreciate your um, doing that so that we can give our listeners out there today really some good advice as it relates to back to school and anxiety whether it's kids or parents or both, um, I think this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me in. Um, such good timing for this conversation, too, with school right around the corner. Uh, I know this is right on top of educators' and parents' minds. It really is. And I know I've got a um, granddaughter out in Texas who's going into fifth grade. You know, and the anxiety really starts, her first day was last week, with what do I wear? You know, she's going to a new school. They recently moved. Um, And, you know, just those simple things about how do I show up is one of the things that kids even think about. Yeah, you're right, right. And and that's a really normal feeling, normal anxiety. Uh, That's that's nothing new for these kids, right? And and that's normal. Uh, Of course, they're dealing with some abnormal anxieties. um, But it, you know, it it helps us, I think, take a step back and recognize that these kids are still kids. They still worry about kids' stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't necessarily worry about adult stuff like we do. Well, and let's talk about adult stuff because we're still in such uh, turmoil. So much uncertainty, masks or no masks. Sure. And I'll go back to my granddaughter, uh, Taylor, again, because it's it's voluntary. If you want to wear a mask in Texas in school, you can. If you don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. And her response is, I'm going to wear a mask. So that's the other thing that there seems to be, maybe it's just the media, but so much anxiety over you know mask wearing and COVID and now this new strain. Um, but is the anxiety really with the kids or is this up to us parents and grandparents that are having more of a problem with it. Right, it's a good question to ask right now. And, you know, I've I've heard so many different perspectives from from parents, uh, educators, and, and mostly kids. Um, I actually just made a terrible assumption when I was working with some kids this summer, and I think this is a learning lesson for for educators and parents alike. Uh, we were working on a, a mural on on resiliency preparing these kids to get back to school, recognizing they have a lot of strengths and, and skills and positive qualities that are going to help them bounce back and get through this year together. And uh, I was trying to motivate them to get working on their uh, their art piece and their art design. And so we were talking about, how, oh, I was talking about how difficult this past year has been. And they both looked at each other and they looked at me and they, and they said, you know, this year really wasn't so bad. And I was like, okay, tell me more. Because I, here I am making this assumption that just because this year was really tough for me, and generally we hear about how bad this year was for kids, 
that I applied that assumption to these two boys. And it just wasn't the case. Uh, they were able to look at me and tell me, I think adults have it way worse. They worry about so many other things, like finances, these middle school kids. And like these kids have their heads on, right? And they're looking at me and they're really filling me in and letting me know to maybe check myself, check my assumptions and recognize what maybe is on top for them. It wasn't masks. It certainly wasn't finances. Right. It was about their friends, being able to see their friends again for the first time and being able to see kids or worrying about seeing kids that they haven't seen in over a year. A lot of these kids haven't been asked to interact with kids outside of their immediate peer group in over a year. And so that's a very new anxiety for these kids. Mm -hmm. So with regards to the masks, it, and it isn't necessarily a top problem for a lot of these kids. Uh, they're, they're really more worried about diverting their attention from screens to in-person learning, being around their uh, immediate peer group again in person, but also being around other kids that they haven't seen in a while. Right. And, you know, I know that, Chris, uh, you're also in a lot of schools doing professional development. What are the topics there and what is it that you're helping districts deal with when it comes to where we're at today? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I'm trying to give perspective on here is now more than ever, our approach needs to be on always interacting with the intent of improving the relationship with our students. All these students are coming back after this unpredictable year, year and a half, right? and we don't know what their experiences have been necessarily. Many of these educators are meeting kids for the very first time. Many of these students are walking into a classroom, whether remote or um, in person, for the first time since March 2020. And so we can't apply those assumptions like I did to all of these students. We can't make general assumptions. We need to really focus on building each and every individual relationship when we get the chance to. So. We're approaching this year with an open mind and an open heart, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with our students, letting them give up, get opportunities for them to share their experiences with one another, um, and, and build that sense of community resiliency, letting these kids know that this is a place where we can learn, but also share and connect and grow together more than academically, socially, and emotionally. Uh, we wanna provide that opportunity for them. So that's really the premise of this professional development is using a trauma-informed lens with a focus on relationships as we reopen schools. You know, Chris, I also have noticed, and I experienced the online learning. My neighbor girl came down one day. I, I needed to watch her, and she had online learning classes. And from my perspective, it was just a mess. And we've heard media reports, and we've seen the statistics that a lot of kids have fallen behind educationally because of remote learning. It, it just, I don't know how anybody could focus or learn anything in what I witnessed. But let's not only talk about how they might have fallen down academically, but socially, mentally. Um, that takes a lot of work to get back to some sense of normal, doesn't it? It, it sure does. And it takes a real uh, community effort here. Um, educators have their hands full with catching these kids up academically. I mean, we hear from some districts, and you've, I know we've heard it across um, news you know, cycles, that there are some kids who are... Um, you know, 60 credits behind, you know, and, and we're, we're looking at kids who would have graduated on time, but now have a lot of work to do in order to catch up. And, and that, that's going to be a struggle for educators. We know this academically, but to your point, socially and emotionally, school districts are doing an enormously good job at providing socially emotional learning opportunities this year. And I'm really excited to be a part of that. It takes a community effort though, bringing in parents, bringing in mental health professionals, extracurriculars, um, 
after school programs, really making sure that we're creating a unified approach to these kids to be able to promote that social emotional learning and catch them up to speed. Keep providing opportunities for these kids to branch out away from their screens, getting out into the community, doing some meaningful work together, um, and then promoting that within the school day and, and practicing it at home as well. Right. And there is a parental caretaker responsibility here too. So much responsibility and the, for the whole child is put on school districts, but it also has to carry over into the home. Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing we talk about in therapy a lot is we see kids typically 50 minutes a week. And, you know, we, we know that once they leave our four walls of our clinic space, they have to go home. They have to go to school. They have to go to extracurriculars. And what's the likelihood that what we practice in that therapy session is going to generalize outside? Right? And, and, and that, that's the goal of therapy ultimately, right? Is it's great if we can do this stuff in therapy sessions, but we want it to translate into other, other, other settings. And so we always bring in the parents. We always got to work with the parents and check in with them, see how they're doing, right? How stressful is it for them right now, aside from the child, right? What's going on for them? And we need to support them just as much because they have all that work to do, like to your point, Anne, is that they have to help that child practice at home and reinforce that learning and be positive uh, with them so that they can help generalize it. So if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Chris Marino, who's the Clinical Director of Behavioral Health Services for Community Mental Health Affiliates, which is CMHA. And we also encourage you, Chris, um, the best way to go for these services or any services that are offered by CMHA is to go to their website. And I'll give that out throughout the course of this program, but we'll start here, cmhacc.org. That's cmhacc.org. So let's go back a little bit to um, what you're finding, especially as you go. I know you're working with a lot of districts, like I said, on professional development. What are the teachers and what are the educators um, really getting out of the sessions that you're providing? What they're getting out of these sessions is the opportunity to process, to debrief, to reflect. I think that's probably the most important thing here. We have to go beyond just kind of like this cognitive level of, of thinking here. We really need to get a little deeper and understand how we're connecting to all, all of this new material, all of these new experiences we're finding out, um, and then how we're going to then translate all of this into the actual interactions and relationships and classroom uh, you know, experiences for, for our students. And um, I think that's one thing that educators really are doing a good job of here is understanding that they're bringing stuff too. We, we can't forget that educators have experienced a year and a half of unpredictability and inconsistency and oftentimes some scary moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're doing some surveys out with, with staff and recognizing that um, more likely than not, educators have also paid more attention to their per- personal mental health, personal physical health. They've also had COVID-related health experiences, whether it be themselves or family members. So there's... There's this general sense that um, we have to take care of our educators as well Absolutely. and prevent them from developing what's considered compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new world. I mean, that's just it. Everybody's coming back into the classroom, at least for now. And like you said, you've got to pay attention to the whole picture here, whether it's the educators, the paraprofessionals, the administrators. I mean, it's the whole it's the whole piece that needs to be paid attention to. Um, one of the things that you and I, Chris, have talked about previously is that sometimes as adults, we tend to overanalyze and add anxiety to the situation for our kids. How can we better manage that? Just like the hurricane that we had this past week or we're, was supposed to have, Henry. Um, how, how is what we give off so influential on our kids' behaviors? 
All right. So, so like, you know, I have a two-year-old at home and right now, um, one of his favorite movies is Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, sure. but one of the first scenes in the movie, and I can pretty much recite this movie word for word now, cause I've watched it so many times, but one of the first scenes in the movie is, um, this really scary uh, incident that happens where his father, uh, Nemo's father, um, loses his wife and most of the most of his babies, except for Nemo. Nemo's the only one who lives. And then come you know, fast forward, Nemo's going into school for the first time, and you see Dad just being an anxious mess. Nemo has this little um, this little fin, right on the one side of his body, and his other fin is quote quote normal. And so his dad is very, very nervous. And all Nemo wants to do is go and play. Nemo wants to go play with the kids. He wants to do what the kids are doing. He wants to get into school and, and be, be, a be a fish, a normal fish with all his friends. And, and Nemo's dad just wants nothing to do with it. He is so beyond anxious. And throughout the whole entire movie, you see Nemo, or Nemo's father questioning Nemo's abilities. And whose anxiety is this? We oftentimes pathologize the child so greatly and, and it's such a problem we have to take a step back at and really reflect, what am I bringing into this relationship with my child? We work with parents all the time on this. We work with educators. We work on ourselves with this. And that was kind of my point with the assumption of this year has been really tough. And I talked to those two boys at that, uh, the, after, uh, the summer program. I brought my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a step back and recognize that I'm like Nemo's dad here. I'm bringing my own anxieties into this conversation. And these two kids are just focusing on being kids. And that's all Nemo wanted to do. And so we use that analogy with parents because most parents have seen the movie and they go, huh, hold on a second. I have some stuff too. I've had some experiences in my lifetime. I've had recent experiences with COVID. Uh, I've had recent uh, past experiences in my own childhood and upbringing mm -hmm. that are preventing me from just being in the moment with my kid and even asking them the question, what's your top problem? Right. It's that open line of communication. And with so much going on online, and kids not necessarily being appropriate online. You know, you talk about in-person interaction, but then you've also got that other virtual interaction, which really is, can be troubling to kids as well. So you've got to pay attention to all that, and you've got to keep those open conversations. And I believe that it goes beyond just going to school. Uh, maybe your kid's getting their driver's license, and you're worried about them getting in a car accident. I mean, that anxiety is just, I've, I've been there, done that. It's just all these things that are going on out there and all these life moments, do you celebrate them or do you show such anxiety that it's just not fun for anybody at that point? Right, right. And it's always the parents who experience the anxiety for their kids first because yeah. we know the real world mm -hmm. uh, dangers and risks. And that's the thing with masks right now is, is, is we think about masks and what that represents. What's the top priority of all parents is to take care of their kid. We want to protect them at all costs. We want to make sure they become the best person that they can possibly be. And it starts with us taking care of them. The moment we feel like that's jeopardized in some way, we, we have anxiety, we have concerns. And all you want to do is shelter them and bring them back in and keep them safe and keep them close. And what does that mask represent? The first thing we see on their face. And it's a constant reminder that there could be some danger to our children, that there could be some risk to our children. But our kids don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. They see it as something uncomfortable on their face. And that's why kids don't have such an um, adverse experience with masks as adults tend to. Um, and that's why you see these five-year-olds, six-year-olds going throughout the entire school day without pulling their mask down once. Right. They don't understand that real-life risk or danger that um, a lot of the parents and, and, and you know, parents do. And it's also harder to read people. 
not only students, when they've got that mask on. I know you go to the grocery store, for example. You can't tell if somebody's smiling at you or if they're angry. or It's just so hard to read people. I remember when I took my grandson to the grocery store a while back, and, and he's only four, and I put his little mask on, and I just got so sad. I got so sad, but to him, it was nothing. It was just, where's my mask? Where's my mask? He's the one that reminded me to put it on. But it's so hard to read people. That's what I don't like. Yeah, that's a very good point for adults. And, and we do worry about that with kids, too. Yeah. Developing kids socially and emotionally, they pick up on cues, facial cues and nonverbals. And that's a really important piece of communication. But to your point, right, we've, we've normalized masks as kind of the social norm. And that's a really good thing for kids right now because we don't want to have to sit in front of them and keep explaining the dangers and creating this anxiety for them. Once we begin to normalize mask wearing for them um, to, to a degree, it becomes a lot easier for them to adapt Right. And, and kids are much more adaptable than adults. We're already set in our ways. Right. right? And, and so kids, kids have adapted to that quite well. But to your point, going out into public spaces or meeting somebody for the first time, really difficult to get a sense sometimes of how they're reacting to you because you're missing out on those nonverbal cues. Right? So we have to rely on other ways of communicating um, and, and, and providing opportunities, like I said, for kids to do this socially distanced without masks or, or with masks. So whose lead should we follow as we move forward? You see, again, all this chatter about are my kids wearing a mask or my kids not wearing a mask or the school district, I'm not going to follow their rules or yes, we should follow their rules. So there again, there's so many mixed messages. Who should be in charge and whose advice do you feel that we should follow? All right, so you're right, and We've seen a lot of experts come on news networks and, and you know, um, on podcasts or mm-hmm. um, even in written articles, op-eds about the, these issues. And all, they always bring good content. There's always good content here. But the thing I want to challenge people to do is to just take a step back individually and reflect on what's meaningful and purposeful to you. And I think that's what's going to end up driving our decisions ultimately. And we got to take whatever information is given to us by these experts and digest it a little bit. Try not to be too reactive. Try to use your... Um, Use your, pro- your own problem-solving skills here and think for yourself and be reflective and, again, really act on meaning and purpose to you individually and think about, if you have children, how that's going to trickle down to them. And make an educated decision. And I don't feel that these are debates that should be going on on social media. Whatever your belief is or whatever you're going to do, then do it. You know, it, does, it just doesn't make sense to me for people to get into these, well, I'm right, you're wrong, and it just creates, again, more anxiety for adults when people are d- disagreeing or agreeing with each other. So school for some has started. School for others will be starting soon. So as folks that are listening to this program, whether they're parents, grandparents, caregivers, what would you recommend, let's say three questions, for them to check in with the student that they know, whether it's their kid, their neighbor, whomever, what are top three things that you might want to ask somebody just to check in and see if things are going okay? Well, I, I think a good place to start is start talking about what's good, what's on top, right? And, and, and at least getting children the opportunity to tell you what's actually meaningful to them. Because the one thing we want to avoid is something I learned too, and we all do this as adults, as we bring our own stuff, which we've talked about already, um, is check our assumptions. Check any biases we may have before beginning that interaction with that child because our intent, remember, is to always improve the relationship with whoever we're speaking with. And if we keep that philosophy and we just kind of open it up to them to allow them to tell us what's on top, what's good, Mm -hmm. what's been happening that's good. 
and allow them to kind of share their, their experiences that are meaningful to them. And I think once you get a good sense or a foundation here of their beliefs and their strengths and positive qualities, you can ask, you know, a lot of us are going through some tough stuff right now. What's tough for you? What's mm-hmm. going on for you that might be tough? And then if they open that up, you can at least go back now to their baseline conversation you had of, hey, remember when you were telling me about how courageous you were? You know, I think you can get through this tough stuff too because you were just telling me how courageous of a person you were and how brave you were. I believe in you. And you carry that through because a part of what we do is build rich relationships, which are respectful, built on information, connection, and hope. And when we're able to carry that I, the information, that's a big piece here, is so that we can build connection and then foster hope for our kids. And I think that's kind of how that conversation should go. That's great. So I'll ask my granddaughter, I check in with her after her school day, and I'll say, what was your bright spot? And she'll oftentimes go off on that for so long about what was good. We don't even get to the question, did anything bad happen or was there a dark spot in your day? So I love that because from that, that takes the conversation on in the right direction. And that's what they need. And that's how we all have to support each other, right? It's just not the parents. It's not the teachers. It's the educators. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. Just checking in with these kids and making sure that they're okay. That, to me, should be a top priority, really. Absolutely. And, and when we're ready as adults, we model for them what it's like to, quote unquote, like speak the unspeakable, right? is we want to provide them this opportunity to also share those, those not so bright spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes courage. It takes bravery, but it also takes the adult on the receiving end to be prepared to respond. And I think that's a big piece of this professional development we're doing. A lot of work we do with parents is preparing them to talk about the tough stuff. Um, it's great when we could talk about those bright moments. Those are really important. We want to build on those. Because right. that's really when we're going to learn the most about these kids. Right. And, but we also have to be prepared to talk about that tough stuff. Yes, without blame or judgment. Absolutely. That, that's exactly the conversation to have. You want to have that open-ended conversation so that kids can tell you anything. Right. And, you and, want to know it all. Yeah, and, and that's so important as we go into the school year, whether it's allowing them to tell us what meaning masks have to them, what meaning virtual or in-person learning has to them, what it's like to see kids they haven't seen in a year, right? We want to get all that information from them. We don't want to make any assumptions about how tough this is going to be or how easy this is going to be. We also remember sports are coming back for mm. the first time for many of these kids who did fall sports. And that was a very, very difficult time last year for kids. I've met with a lot of adolescents that was a really, really challenging moment. And so remember, this is coming back for them. There's a lot of positive things in the horizon for kids that they're holding out hope on. And uh, we, we want to remember that. We want to remember what these kids are hopeful for, looking forward to, those bright spots. We yeah. want to hold on to those. Absolutely. And you should also know and keep in mind that maybe just a conversation with a parent or a friend might not be enough, that there are services um, out there that can be provided to individuals, to families. And uh, if you're looking for any of those services, you can also go to the website cmhacc.org. I know that you did a lot of virtual therapy sessions um, through COVID. That actually, telehealth actually increased, and hopefully that has helped folks reach out and get the help they need. But that's the other thing. You've also got to know when it's time to get a professional to step in and help you out. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And that's so important. And that's why it's so important for these adults who are caring for these kids. Remember, educators wear many hats. Um, Parents wear many hats now. A lot of parents were educators this year, don't forget. Um, So we're all wearing so many hats and we're caring for people in ways we never thought we had to. And in a way, this is a good thing because we're paying closer attention. And, and we have to challenge ourselves, though, to not bring any assumptions like we've talked about. But when we pay more attention and we provide open space for communication, we're able to notice when maybe a child is having a harder time than, uh, than they used to with things. And maybe we're seeing things that we never saw in them with some increased anxiety, whether it's suddenly their bedtime is being disrupted or their sleeping patterns are being disrupted, their appetite. Um, you see different types of mood shifts, lack of interest in things. Those are kind of some key warning signs that maybe there's some mood symptoms that may be impacting them emotionally or socially or physically. And so we want to pay attention to those, create opportunity to talk, maybe bring it up at their next um, visit with their pediatrician and making sure that we connect them to, to a counselor. We've seen an enormous amount of adolescents get into therapy for the first time and, in, and such a, a large majority of them actually advocated on their own, which is so exciting to see is that we're doing a good job as a community providing that awareness to adolescents and, and, and to kids that there's no stigma with this. Right. You know, and, and giving them enough information ahead of time prior to COVID, what mental health is. And I love that we did this kind of education in this community because we saw so many kids come in asking to be in therapy and that their parents said, no, it wasn't me. It was, it was them. They asked me to come in. And, and that's a really, really promising sign. That gives me a lot of hope here that we've done a really nice job as a community building resiliency. Yes. And taking away that stigma, like you mentioned, yeah. that something's wrong with you if you reach out for help, because that's absolutely not the case. And if, if a child does come to you, give them your undivided attention, put down the cell phone, shut off the television set, look in the eyes of, of that individual so that you can really see and feel, you know, what's happening with these people. Because too many things are going on around us that I feel we don't give each other even enough of our undivided attention. Well, Chris Marino, um, thank you very much for this great advice. And I hope that you folks out there will heed that advice. And if you want more information, uh, and if CMHA doesn't have the program uh, that you're looking for, obviously work with a lot of other nonprofits and you can refer them to the proper agency. And the best place to go is to the website, which is cmhacc.org. And of course, we hope everybody has a very healthy, happy, and safe new school year and that we get back to some sense of normal. Thanks again, Chris. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Anne. And I hope you all enjoyed this conversation and got something out of it like I did. On behalf of myself, Ann Baldwin, and Chris Marino, thank you for tuning in to this program right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. 
Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.